Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, And then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Dwayne Pierce, and Dwayne is a serial entrepreneur, but he comes from hammers and nails. He's a builder to start with, and he still is a builder. That's the key function of his business, and that is DPS Constructions. He also has an amazing podcast, which is called Level Up. I tell you, if you want to seek out some information and some straight talking, that is an incredible podcast. He also partners in Live Life Build with Amelia Lee, who has the Undercover Architect as um, her business and podcast. And uh, he also has Quotees, which is based around software and costings and preliminary costings for builders. And that also covers like mentoring, training and coaching. No, sorry, that comes under Live Life Build. He's got a lot going on, this guy. Just bought a farm up north and he's trying to spend as much time up there as well in his spare time. So, Dwayne, 
that's a, a lot that you're doing. Thanks for cutting out a bit of time for me to be on the podcast with me. Really appreciate it, mate. Oh, good, mate. I've been looking forward to this for a while. It's, uh, I think we we tend to hit it off every time we have a conversation, so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do, yeah, like there's a like-mindedness there that just seems to click. And for the betterment of people who are in this industry, and that ultimately means, hey, they, they do better from it, but also for the people who use this industry, you know, whether it be design, build, whatever it is, they're living inside these things and they're living with them in their yards, you know, or on their blocks. So I think it's really important when you think the size of this industry globally and that everybody probably has a human right to shelter, then in the journey of it, we're responsible for that in part. So how can it be done better? And how can it be done with more security and more um, sense of, I want to say, I want to say security, I don't know that's the word, but more sense of security for the people who are engaging in it, which they know nothing about. You know, they come to us, come to you, and they don't know where they're going. They've got an idea, but then how does it go from there? So let's kick off with, you know, one time there was Dwayne and he was in a pair of shorts. He was about four or five years old or something. He's running around in the yard. Where was that? And when did you know you were going to be a builder? Mate, I've known, like, I think I'm one of the lucky ones that I've known. I've wanted to be a builder for a, for a very long time. Like, I, my father had a successful painting business. So, mate, for as long as I can remember, as soon as I was allowed to go to work with him, I'd be jumping in the truck and, yeah, I'd be off to work. He, he used to work a lot of weekends to support the family and things. So, mate, every chance I got, I was with him in the truck. I'd go to site. He'd be inside doing the painting or whatever he was. And that was, like, we're talking 30, 35 years ago. So um, wow. a lot of these were sort of on the outskirts of Brisbane, larger blocks, and he'd be painting these new homes, and, mate, I'd be on the BMX and bloody right around the neighbourhood, picking up building materials out of rubbish piles and just <laughs> knocking together whatever I could, building cubbies and trees and building billy carts and all types of shit, but... Um, I think the real passion, like one thing, we do an exercise uh, in my Live Like Build business with Amelia. Um, we do an exercise with our members. Like I, I believe the magic happens in a, in any business when you find where your passion does come from. And I, I think like doing the exercise that we do with our members, it really comes from my great-great-grandfather. He, we used to go and like we spent my mum's family was from up around the Gympie area. Yep. Um, we spent a hell of a lot of time on the farm and so just spending time like I never got to meet him but growing up in a or spending time in a farmhouse it was like he literally cut the trees milled the timber like all by hand put the house together like wow um, and like I remember they used to we used to sit on the out on the veranda and they'd tell us stories how he went up in the hills there and he got the trees and he had to get them down here and like I don't know I just I think it's a combination of I really I'm blown away by what human beings can do with our hands uh, <laughs> and just the and the effort that goes into and I never used to be but like in in my older age now like I just I, I'm fascinated by the buildings that got built like even the pyramids and things like the mm. and 
So like my, my one of my mottos is there's always a solution. And I will, I will always find a way to fix, do things, build things. And because I just think back to like, I mean, if they can lift 200 kilo or 200 ton stones into position with no hydraulics, no machines, then yeah, we can do anything. Didn't they use spacecraft? <laughs> but um, mate, that's where the passion the passion comes from and i believe when you find your passion that's that's where the the magic happens you, you translate that passion into a, a mission statement or a vision statement that you can put out to the world whether it's on your socials or whatever but that is what attracts like-minded people and that that helps build your team builds your culture builds your client base builds your the suppliers you interact with like when i say team it's it's every person my business touches, accountants, yep. bank manager, like whoever I interact with, that's my team. So when you're passionate about something, it, it shows, it flows, and you attract like-minded people. I think that's so true as well, isn't it? It's the your vibrational energy attracts the same the same kind. You know, the universe has its way of going, well, you wanted that, you, you got that, you picked it up, and you actually ran with it in a really positive way. So we'll give you some more of it. And I think that that is a massive thing that's sort of, I don't know, a bit woo-woo, but hidden under the covers. But it truly happens. The minute that you get into flow, everything starts flowing with you and it just pulls down the line. And it, it, you don't even realise how much you can do. Look, look, 10 years ago, it was all woo-woo. And look, I was definitely brought up in a, around people that... Every, the most important thing every day was like watching the news and reading the newspaper and just going with the, the rest of the herd of sheep. And it's taken me a, a hell of a lot of personal development, personal growth, a lot of time, energy, and money into myself to realize like you, the world's your oyster. Like you can have and do and be whoever you want to be. Um, mm. And mm. Uh, I think so many people get caught in the trap of just yeah following the following the sheep. I think the thing is, is that you're trying to fit with a tribe as well, because it's what other people do. It's like how many people vote for the same political party that their grandparents voted for because it was what was done. It's not because it's right or because all those things have changed. It's yeah. they just stick down the line. And it's, you know, it shows how strong being environmentally when I say environmentally, env- the environment you're brought up in, the environment that you're around shapes who you are you know it's the old one bad apple spoils the whole bunch and it's yeah. not so much that it's just that the whole bunch actually can be affected by one thing yeah. and how long ago did you watch give up watching the news and reading the newspaper it's been a long 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 time now years I, and look even with socials yep I think it's the same like i try very very hard not to get stuck on it like i go on there i, I do my posting I'm pretty, I'm on there. I'd like to have a bit of omni, omnipresence. I'm on there a fair bit posting. I try and yep. post two to four times a day. But if you're not on there and you don't catch my radar when I'm on there, then I don't, I don't flick through and find you. But I, I'm man, I'm really passionate now. I, I think there is so many people, well, massive, like it would be huge. It would be 98% or 99.9% of the population don't know who they really are like we like one of my big things now is like we are born i heard it i've been to a couple of grant cardones yep. growth conferences and 
it was really interesting learning, like talking to or listening to people at those events and they all say similar things. And one of the things I picked up about three or four years ago, I can't remember who said it, but like if you're, when you're born, you're born in, at a hospital. Like if you were born in Australia, from an Australian family, but a Chinese couple take yep. you home, you're going to learn Chinese and learn their beliefs and their religions and things. So it doesn't matter who you are, what colour your skin is, like all yep. this type of stuff. Like so many people live their entire life stuck in how they're brought up and they yes. never truly find who they really are. They never explore their true passions. They never they never stray from the beliefs that they were taught when they were younger. And I just believe there's so many people that are just stuck in this horrible life. They could be so much better. They could have so much more if they just broke the mould. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of fear that holds them in that mould as well, though, isn't there? So it, the fear of not fitting with their family and stuff yeah. like that. or yeah. and, and, I mean, you obviously came from a family that it set you some good roots. You know, you were saying about being at your grandmother's and all the rest. doesn't mean that they weren't affected by the other side of, you know, sensationalized media and stuff like that but you came from a family that you've got great memories of and certainly the time with your dad you know going out and just being on construction sites being around things that were there there was obviously a reason how come you didn't end up you know in an office somewhere pushing a pencil around paper or typing into a keyboard and um, we, we touched on it when you're on my podcast like, <laughs> I think it's, I've actually, like, I've really been sort of deep diving into this a little bit since you and I sparked that conversation about dyslexia and AHD and stuff. And it's funny because I was having a, a conversation with, I actually got a phone call from the dad of a, a builder that's doing a bit of stuff with me, telling me, it like, just how how much he's um, proud of his son for taking the leap and putting time, energy and money into himself. And one of the things that we started talking about, he'd heard the podcast and we started talking about the AHD thing and dyslexia and stuff. And he was saying, well, it's amazing that you you had that conversation because, and, and I agree hundred percent with him, like his son at school, it was the same boat I was put in, like you and me. And, and we talked about it, like you, you make you get made to feel like you're no good because you're not getting the A, Bs and Cs, you're not fitting in with the leaders, you're not understanding what's getting told to you. You yeah. Like mate, I would sit in my class I would sit in classrooms and just doodle like every <laughs> single everything I had had drawings and doodles all over it because I just I just wasn't connecting. And so because of that you get put in this basket that you're never going to be anything. You never like I got told by multiple teachers, at, especially at high school, that I'd never get anywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and you haven't. How's that? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they had higher aspirations for you than you've gone so far. <laughs> yeah, but man, it took me. It took me a long, long time to get. Yeah, like probably it actually took me until well into my thirties to actually really believe in myself. Like I, I, I'd already started to do really well, but I always had in the back of my mind that I was a failure because it's what I was told growing up or what I was led to believe. Do you think uh, that drove you as well, though? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just saying, do you think it actually drove you to prove it, that you could do better? Or... Um, oh, it definitely has now in, in my in my older age. Like now I just I thrive on proving people wrong. But yep. uh, 
But anyway, I just feel that like this is, we're all sort of put in this one size fits all type thing. Like my my big thing is now, like I put in a bit of time now. I volunteer and I go to takes and things, and I talk to the apprentices and stuff. And I'm like my big thing now is like if if and I, look, I don't know if it would have been different back then, but I say now, like if someone had to come to school, like in say grade eight or nine, and actually put the like and understood. Because like that, well, I shouldn't say it's like we did have career counselors and stuff when I was at high school, but they had no idea what. But also, their measuring stick was one of just pure academics. Yeah, you know, or maybe sports. If you were a great sports as well, they would be like, "Oh, you can do sports, so you'll better do this," or "You can do great academics, so you better do this." Yeah, like there's no like I'd like to um, be able to go into schools now and like sit with people and like if someone wants to be a tradie or work in the construction industry, be a designer or architect, like yeah, like say them, look, this it's an incredible industry. Like, because the other thing that our industry doesn't get a lot of is, and I know it's probably better here than in the States, but we get frowned upon a bit. Like, but um, <laughs> being in the industry is an incredible opportunity. And it's, it's like, I guess at the end of the day, it's no different than anything. Like you get, yeah, you get, architects and designers that hardly earn a cent and you get other ones earn millions of dollars you get chefs that struggle their entire life and yet you get other chefs that are making millions of dollars so yeah yeah look probably the biggest lessons i've learned in the last 10 years is your life is completely up to you i feel so many people put themselves in these baskets and and hold themselves back because they tell themselves all the time oh i'm only a chef or oh i can only earn this much money or oh, my family's not good enough to have that. Like all these things, like you've got to believe in yourself and just bloody go out there and do it. Isn't it interesting that languaging that you just said then, you know, I'm only, I'm only, and it's a, it's a, a negative put down and just a small shift in language is just so different. Like, you're only a builder. No, you're not only a builder. I'm a builder, you know, like I'm a designer. Yeah. It's it's this thing of shifting that language to not only, it's not less than, it's not yeah. only a part of, it is what, it. people often sort of talk about this thing of you aren't what you do. And I go, well, you are. You're a combination of everything that your behaviours are and how you how you use those and when you find what you were saying before this just was lighting me up with going through this process of understanding or finding your passion the thing that you're good at and then seeing where it fits when you find that it is it does become encompassing into what you do everything everything is touched by it because it's your view of the world and it's how you bring value forward into the space of of your life and it's not bad to be you know an accountant it's not bad to be a whatever it is a cleaner a you know architect a builder or whatever it is doesn't matter what it is it's not bad to be that it's not an only position it's it can be as elevated as you want it to be and as elevated as you're prepared to fight to take it and when that flow hits all of a sudden then that elevation just is like being taken on a ride. It's like the escalator takes you up floor by floor faster than you can run. 
and look, I look at I look at yours and I go, how many businesses did we talk about at the start that you're involved in and making an impact in way beyond just yourself, way beyond just doing something that's about you. You're impacting all these different lives in your journey of it and lifting everybody up. I sort of have this little vision of the world, which is if we can stick our hand up and hold on to somebody who reaches their hand down to lift us up, our responsibility is to put our hand down and lift the next person up with us and yeah. make and make this chain. You know, like that that chain is what grows community, it grows possibility, it grows faith in people's self-worth. And I think coming from like you, being dyslexic, dys, uh, you can't even say it, dyslexic and ADHD and having such a a start of life that was I want to call it under the circumstances. It was a viewpoint. And in that, it would be, it made me very angry as a younger person, a highly creative, angry person that would use that to be destructive yeah. uh, as opposed to being positive, you know, like, and then I think of all the input that was coming in, you know, like media and stuff like that. There was plenty to be, you know, my dad going, oh, yeah, those people are like this or those ones are like this and, you know, bloody rich people or whatever. So they became, you know, a, a target of that sort of mental destruction as well instead of going, what's well, – I ran away from it. I divorced the family to go to get to the other side so that I had a chance. Yeah. And I didn't realize I was doing that so much at the time, but I di- it was a conscious decision. And so I look at yours and I go, it's pretty amazing where you've gone with it and why it's taken you there. And the people well, that it's put you around. But there's, there's so many things. and It's easy for me to sit here now and say, like, it's, it's easy, but it, it actually really is. And I, it's like, you can change your life with the flick of a switch. And it's it's definitely multiple things. Like I think my probably biggest driver was like we got to a point in two thousand between two thousand ten two thousand twelve where like I was over it. I just wanted out. Like on face value, like two thousand ten to two thousand twelve, we were the most awarded builder in Brisbane. We we were winning every accolade. We we're in newspapers. We we're getting asked to speak at functions. Like on face value. People thought we were absolutely killing it, but uh, yeah. behind the scenes, it was an absolute shit show. We weren't making money. It was stressful. We were going through team members that like, are going out of fashion, like, and we'll have it just every day. It was a battle with every client we had, and it like it did take getting to a very very late point, almost losing everything, uh, depression, anxiety, all those things. And I think, like, at the time, I had a very young family. Like, um, we'd only not long had our first child. And so I think the the thing that started my growth was I finally, for the first time in my life, had to take the responsibility and stop blaming the world. <laughs> and that, like, that was a huge one. Like, I, I used to just, I used to blame everyone. I used to blame the employees, blame the clients, blame the architects designers, blame the associations, blame my industry, blame the government, like anyone, like it was everybody else's fault but mine. Um, so taking ownership was a massive, massive thing for me and a massive turning point. And then it's just growing from there. Like I think I just like 
I view everything now with a very open mind. Like, like you just said, you you think like I'm even now. I hear lots of people like that bang on about the wealthy and they're rich and all these type of things. Like people do well because they put in the effort. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. doesn't matter at what level. Like the yep. people that are doing well are there for a reason. So yep. you can either you can either be frustrated about it, or you can have a bit of you can be negative about it, or you can embrace it and like just like I, I take my hat off to anybody that's doing well at any level. Like yep, and I don't care if you got a thousand dollars or a hundred billion dollars. Like whatever you have, you've done something. You've you've had the right mindset. You've you've dealt with the right people. Like there's, there's some people out there that do it the wrong way, but. There, there is, there's all different ways. And as you say, there are some people out there that do it the right, that don't do it the right way. And they will, you know, they will take from others without giving, but they don't have sustainability and they don't have a holistic attitude that actually feeds them a comfort in life. So they may be all the money and a very miserable internal life, like, and, and yeah. you know, for themselves, very tortured and even on that, even on that, mate, like there's so many like I don't know, I might go into it, like even Donald Trump, I guess, but like there's so many mm-hmm. examples out there of people that are doing extremely well and the media portray them in a terrible way. But like if you actually read their books or their autobiographies or you learn more about them, there's a whole other side to the story. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And they you don't know the circumstances that they have been brought up in or lived in or any of those things as well. I often say to people, you know, like if you were born, like let's just say that you were born in the Ukraine, well, let's say seven years ago, and you're now, well, the last two years you've been, a say, a seven, eight, and a nine-year-old. That's the years that you've lived through this Ukrainian war. War is your your norm. Yeah. This this situation is now your norm in incredibly formative years. Those people, and it's not over yet. It's not yeah. over yet. So let's just go that it goes for another two years and you go, those four years will shape their view of the world forever, forever, and they will have to break a pattern or find a new pattern path um, because there'll be the millions of them that will live under what happened and they will never get above that line again. Mm. And then there'll be the ones who get above that line because they couldn't control the environment. They couldn't control the circumstances, but that they can control what's between their ears and they go, okay, I need to reprogram that. With yours, when going from all those accolades and you're in this space, but you, you know, in the background, you're going broke and you're going, shit, I've got a family to look after. What was, or was there any major point where you went, this, I've got to, I've got to see myself in this. I've got to actually look in the mirror. Was there a, was there a turning point? Was there one big blow up fight, depression point, or that you went, I've got to get help with this, or I've got to change something. Something's got to change. I know there'd be lots of those, but when you actually found the thing that would change, you said it was taking ownership. Oh, look, ownership was a big part of it. Um, what dropping, triggered it? Dropping an ego was another big part of it. Like, yeah, I mean, just, mate, I was, I can, like, it's, 
I, I don't know, but uh, there's so many parts to it. But like we we basically got to a point where like the, we were getting letters from uh, banks wanting to take things. Like there, there was a there was a few things that happened, and it wasn't all business. Like I had some investment with family that the family member hadn't been doing things correctly, and that put an enormous amount of stress on things as well. We lost a like we lost seven six or seven million dollars worth of property. So there's all these things that there's a, a big wake up call in there. It was yeah, and so there, and so it, it basically got to a point where, and look, I didn't know my numbers. Like it, on face value, I thought we were making heaps of money, but like we every single job, we we're just we we're chasing the next job to get to cover the bills. Like it was just it was a horrible time. But like it got to a point where we couldn't pay our bills. Like we, we literally had to ring people and say, look, this is a problem we're in. Like we, we need some cash. And we ended up having to borrow $100,000 off a family member. And I was, I was like, I'm, I'm fucking never doing that again. Like what, what the hell has this come to? And it was, it was a very hard time because like on face value, people still thought I was killing it. Yeah. Like, you know, had to borrow money so like we had to sell stuff off but one of my biggest things when i look back is that i was getting rewarded for the position i was in so even though i was running a, a shit show like man we were we were like i said we were getting asked to speak at functions like i was getting taken on overseas holidays by suppliers because i was spending so much on materials like we're winning industry awards like yeah and it was just and like, and I got, I was getting all caught up in that, but the business wasn't just terrible. And I think, I think that's what I like. One thing I've really learned now is it doesn't like we talk about it a lot in Live Life Build. Like Live Life Build is incredible business. Like we have got online course platforms, systems library, like hundreds of templates, documents, PDFs. Like our members have access to incredible information that like we can give them and they can turn their business around. Like they put in the effort, they implement it, they'll turn their business around very, very quickly. But they'll only turn it around for a short period of time because it doesn't matter what you have and how good your business is operating. If you are not right and if you are not in the right mindset, if you're not a you're not a leader, you're not building culture, you're not putting time, energy and money into personal growth and personal development yourself, you will always be on the hamster wheel. Yeah, so you have to, my biggest thing now is me. Like I have to put time and energy into myself. And now if I, like I listen to heaps of podcasts, I do, I download, I get involved in lots of mentoring sessions and things that I listen to when I'm driving around. If I get into a period where I'm stuck in the office for a long time or we're really busy on site or there's something on that takes me away from getting time each day to put into myself, I fall into a hole very quickly. So <laughs> like personal growth is massive. You've, you've got to do it every single day. I look, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent convert on that as well. A great friend of mine, Bruce Campbell from entrepreneurial business school. He always has you know been very big on the people you spend your time around as the people you become the average of. And I started my podcast based on how did I get around better people? Not that I didn't think I had good people around me already, but how did I elevate it? How did I 
how did I get into conversations with people like you and around the globe, A, that were in my industry and B, that weren't even in my industry, that just take ownership of where they want their mind to go to and grow to. And also, I think it's possibly based off the maybe that growing up with dyslexia and being told I'd never achieve anything. Not quite sure. But with that, I live it in a relatively fragile sense as well. Like, so I have a daily jump in to something, some something, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, a, a conversation with somebody. I get up, you know, somewhere between 4.30 and 5.30 just about every morning. I podcast once to twice a week. I'm on t- a buddy call with a group of architects around the globe on every Tuesday morning. I'm on two calls on a Wednesday morning with architects all around the globe. And that the first one starts at 5 a.m. and the next one starts at 7 a.m. So those are great big fill-ups. And then Thursdays and Fridays are often both podcast days. Mondays is a day that I don't do something like that, but I'm always listening to something. I've always got an audio book going. I've always got some reflection. Because otherwise, if I if I unplug from that tribe of influence, I'm the first one to be shooting myself in the head. You know? I mean, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm, I'm, and again, I think it's got a lot to do with the ADHD. I, ADHD. I'm I'm very big on routines, and just doing little things like I have the cold shower. I, I really love my breath work now. Um, mm-hmm. but, the other thing that I'm really conscious of now is I don't have time for shit. <laughs> so, like, I got no time for, like, I, and look, I've lost friends, I've lost family because of it, but I got no time to be sitting on the phone and just talking chit chat or what happened on the news that morning. Or, yep. Um, and, like, even, even if I'm at an event or I'm catching up with mates. I just got no time for it. And I actually, there's a, like, I, I listened to the the Real Brad Lee podcast a fair bit. He, he has some incredible uh, business owners on there. And he had this real estate guy on there that had been, he'd worked in a control tower, I think, in an airport or something. And he was on, he was actually earning really good money. But Yeah, massive money, massive burnout. But yeah, he got to a turning point where he, and he got started getting into real estate. And anyway, long story short, he, he started this, real estate investing, I think it was hotels or something, and the three or four year period it it, it accumulated like sixty or eighty million dollars worth of property and stuff. But he tells this story how he got to a point where he'd gone him and his partner had gone out or for a long weekend away with his best mate and his mate's new girlfriend. And they come home from the weekend and they're like, that was so draining. Like that was just horrible. Like all they did all weekend, like everything, they saw the downside and everything. And he made a call after that weekend, like, I am not having that in my life. And he said from that point on, his life just took off. And it resonated with me because I, I do a similar thing. Like, I don't have any – I'm not interested in wasting my time. I, one thing I do do is value my time incredibly. It is the most valuable thing that we all have, and so many people don't understand the value of it. So I am not going to waste 30 seconds having a shit conversation or listening to someone else talk garbage yeah, that I don't yeah. want to hear. Yep. So I'll, I'll just politely say, hey, 
all good, no worries, we'll catch up with you soon or whatever, and I'll, I'll cut it off. Um, I've got no time for it because if I if I waste my time, which is really valuable to me, listening to other people's rubbish that interests them, I don't want to know what's going on on the news yeah. every day or um, I don't want to know that someone's brother's in jail or someone's doing that. Like, I've got no time for it. Like, I want to, for me, it's all, I'm number one and my family. Yep. And unless you're talking about something that's adding value, I don't want to know about it. I love it. I love it. Isn't that a, just a, a big shift as well? in going okay this this is the most valuable thing i've got is myself it's the old put the oxygen mask on yourself first mm. and yeah and and go from there and and you once you're right you can help other people be right I think yeah. so yeah. Every, everything's got to add value mate like whether it's whether it's me on site having the toolbox meeting with my boys or me going to a client meeting like everything gets scheduled in everyone has a set period of time I don't muck around with chit chat anymore. Like I'm still polite. I still like I love yeah, yeah. that sort of to their clients, but it's just get what you have to get done. Be polite. Do it well. Follow it up with meeting minutes. Get things signed off. Move on to the next thing. Like everything. I'm I'm very structured now, and I think again that probably comes it's, back to me. Well, it's an interesting thing for somebody who you know ADHD to be so structured, but doesn't don't you find that that having that structure actually calms the farm it's yeah. like you know which hole to put the peg and i like i'm very yeah. habitual i like you were saying like about having things i always put my car keys in one of two places and, and i'm never it is a rare day i'm ever looking for my car keys yeah. just simple little things like that because if not the shit show gets so out of control that oh, yeah. i'm lost yeah. and then i'm unempowered i can't do anything yeah yeah. It's got to, it's got to be a dyslexia ADHD <laughs> thing because I'm I'm the same like my car keys my wallet my phone go in the same boom 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 every yep. time we get like and even if you if if you go away to a hotel or you go camping or something like I everything has some somewhere <laughs> and I know exactly where it is like but I yeah like I said before I do I've got my little rituals I get up the same way every morning I like yep. go to the bathroom I have my cold shower I come downstairs I get my glass of water I have my apple I I play with my dog, I write my journal. Like, Oh, you do journaling as well? Oh, mate, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the, like I've got a, a journal or a diary that I put my tasks to doing every single day and then I've got a, a legal legal pad beside my bed that, yeah, a few, few times a week it gets, it's just a brain dump. Like I, I think for me, for it's me it does bad. multiple things. It's, so I, I write everything down as if I've already like with my with my goals and aspirations. I write everything down as if I've already achieved it. So, like I've been writing down that I have a farm for the last fifteen years, and now we have an incredible farm. Yeah, uh, and I write down every, I write down how much money I earn, how much rental properties I have, how much rental income I want, how many cows I have. Like I write everything down like I already have it. Yep. But I also write down what I've achieved. So I, I'm a big believer that you've got to reflect. Um, and yeah, so I do I do reflect quite a bit and write down that I've done this, I've done that, I'm happy for this, I'm grateful for that, I love my wife, I love my kids, I like I spent time with like like it's it's not uncommon for me to like fill four pages of a legal two to four pages of a legal pad three times a week. Yeah, wow. Wow. I've never tried um journaling. I've always just put it in the too hard basket with the 
dyslexia kind of thing. But I think that's probably a good excuse. As I don't know if I saw to... mine writing in a journal. It's more like scribble, but yeah, but that's it's all the same, mate. Eh? Like I think, like hearing you say it goes, okay, Adrian. Well, you know, you've uh, got to take ownership there. I I know that it's an excuse. Going, oh God, I've got to write it. Like I could just draw it in pictures if I wanted. Believe me. So then again, I go, why use the excuse? Why not just take the action? Why not? It's just... been really powerful for me, I believe. Like just, and again, even just the daily tasks. Like so, we we have we're very scheduled in our building business, but I still have my paper diary or journal like every day it's got a list of priority tasks and i don't know i think it's just again it's whatever it is it's a type of person like one if you haven't uh, listened to it there's a really it's uh i'll look it up it's by peter sage i think it's called be hang on i'm gonna find it to you because it's an incredible book so I, yeah okay it's I've done a lot of work on like finding who I am, like what type of persona I am, and it's it's really helped me understand like who I am, how I react to things. Um, where is it? Here? Got too many books on my bloody logging it. Ah, the inside <laughs> track. It's cool. Inside track. The inside track by Peter Sage. It's um, the way that he talks about and explains. It's just such a good thing, but the. He tells this story about how, like, he's, he is one of Tony Robbins' yep. original coaches. And he tells the story how he, I know there was a stuff up with something or whatever, but he ended up in prison. Yeah, and, right. Uh, There's a stuff up with something, you end up in prison. Yeah. Um, it's I a reasonably to... sized stuff up. Yeah, yeah something, <laughs> I don't know, something to do with tax or something. But, but yeah. the, the thing is, like, he was in prison, but. He, he said most people are looking at the ground and seeing the mud, whereas he was looking up at the stars and seeing the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks a lot about your persona and the type of person you are, and that's that's been massive for me, and not not just for me, being helping me interact with clients and other people, like being able to pick up characteristics about that person so that I can interact with them better. Yep. Uh, yeah, look, there's you- like said, personal development. It's massive. I think, I think back to a story about Benjamin Franklin, who was the American president or did he? Yeah. Yeah. He was American president, wasn't he? He's on one of the notes. So Benjamin Franklin was apparently, and I've got to get, I've probably got the story wrong, but any listeners, please, please, please write in and correct us. It's something like he was a lawyer or something like that. And he was not seen as being a particularly, you know, kind of trustworthy type person, maybe a bit sharky or something, I'm not sure. And he took a, a bunch of characteristics, I think it was 10 characteristics that he saw and that other people had that were seen as being trustworthy and worthy of a position of power. And he wanted to be president. And he spent a few years practicing all these other traits that these other people had until he became them until that's who he became and you know this thing of about you saying about taking ownership we're born into something we do this part and there's a point where we can go okay cool we've got all that now what do we want to do and who do we want to become and you were saying before you know 99 percent 
know, 99.9% of people probably don't know who they are or what they're passionate about. They also don't go and train the muscle. So, you know, if you're like, say you're quite good at footy at school or something, and the coach spots this, and just when you're a youngster running around, they pull you aside and they go, we want you to go out for the team, man. You know, come, come and train, come and try out for the team. You go and you try out for the team and they go, yeah, okay, well, they can see everything that needs polishing at that point. What, what, what are the steps we're going to take you on? That's why they're a coach. And they they start you on a journey of piece by piece by piece. You can't be the grand final, you know, kicker or whatever it is, player of the match the day you first start. That's That takes effort, work, no matter how brilliant you are. And in doing that, they coach you through this all the way along. And they're polishing this. They're, they're, they're turning you into who you can be. They're taking yeah. something that you've already got a piece of and they're taking you there. I've got a friend who kept and coached, I think, three grand finals for AFL in Australia. And he would tell me, like, he had a... The guy played off a, you know, zero handicap, a, a scratch handicap in golf and all these things, like just natural, natural sports person. And he would tell me his work ethic to when he was in playing in footy, what his work ethic was. And you were just like, really? And I li- listened yeah. to those things with Kobe Bryant, who goes, Kobe yeah. goes, man, I start this, do this, did this, did this. And that's why I'm five years ahead of anybody else because it was work ethic. It was putting the time in. I mean, I, I laugh when I was saying to you, can you come on the podcast at 6am? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem at all. And I'm like getting an, uh, somebody else in Australia to come on the podcast at 6am is really hard. Oh, but man, you've just... got a day to get up, get on with and, we could we could definitely talk all day like the same yeah. past, like the, I'm, a, I'm a massive believer now that any any single person in this world can can be can have can do what, whatever they want it is completely up to them like you you take that there's no excuses like it doesn't matter what color your skin is what fan, what past you come from what you've been through none of that gives a shit yeah like, all that matters is that you take ownership, you put in the time, you put in the effort, like, and you can achieve anything. Like, the world, we live in an incredible world mm. that you can do whatever you want to do. So, yeah, stop blaming. Like, that That was, I mean, so many people ask me now, like, how do you, how do you get to where you are? Like, how, what's the one thing? Like, <laughs> I, don't, no, I don't think I'll ever pinpoint the one thing, but... Just having this conversation with you now, like um, I know I said ownership before, but like another massive turning point for me at that point in time was stop blaming people. Yes, like, yeah. I was blaming everybody except myself. Yeah, but Bruce Campbell has a lovely thing with above and below the mm-hmm. line behavior, and the below the line behavior is blame and excuses. If you're blaming somebody else or making an excuse, that's below the line. You know, bad talk is below the line. Bad self-talk is below the line. You know, everything else that's empowering and positive is above the line. And I don't think he starts a seminar or a, a session without that piece in the in the runway of just so that we're clear on the rules in the room. There's no judgment up or down, you know, and then there's the 
below the line behavior and above the line behavior. I don't want to hear any shit talking. I want to hear positive talking and keep it above the line. And I think it is one of the biggest things is I hear it in other people's when they're saying something and I go, that's below the line. And I'm a bit like you. I go, well, hold on a second. Do I want to be around this? Yeah. How do I just shift this to being something positive? How do I shift this or shift myself? Shift it or shift yourself is the thing. Well, I think it's it's like you touched on it before. Like it's so many people are just afraid. Like they're afraid that they'll lose friends or they're afraid that they'll lose family or whatever. Like who cares? They're looking below the line there. They should be looking forward to what will they do and then how can they. So, yes, you might lose some friends. But you will find you'll others. Get new ones. Yeah, you'll get new ones. Do you know, I, I often think of this. My dad's 95. My dad, probably a couple of years ago, because he's just started to get dementia now, and so he can't have a really good conversation anymore. But back a few years ago, I said to him, oh, Dad, tell me one of the things, you know, that you'd suggest to anybody who's going to live to 95. And he sort of chuckled at me and said, shit, son, I never thought I'd live this long, you know. And I said, yeah, but what are some of the things he said? Well, make younger friends. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, all my family's dead. I was the youngest kid. So all my family's dead. My, you know, older family. I'm still in touch with some of my, of your cousins, some of my nephews. And I'm like, right. And I know he is. And he said, and then my friends, like I'm 90, but I've got friends who are 70. And then if you're like a 30-year-old, that's like having a 10-year-old as a friend. You know, it just doesn't make sense. When you're in the 60s or having a 40-year-old friend, that makes sense. That does. But how do you keep getting these younger friends? Because by the time you're 90, you need somebody who's 30 years younger than you to be. You don't have to have that, but just to stay valid and to stay thing. And, you know, in this learning and relevant and being driven. And you see the people who, uh, I want to use Warren Buffett as an example, and I don't know he's the best example, but Warren and Charlie, obviously good mates in Berkshire Hathaway, but then also they are around influencing people who are in their, I don't know, 20s, And they have a curated set of friendships that in business friendships, you know, and and I suppose, you know, business is probably big enough quantification, but they have this curated set of people that empower them to keep going and being. None of them are doing it for the money. They're not doing it for their egos either. They're doing it because they can help somebody else by doing it. I think that's the biggest thing, mate. Like, I don't do it. Like, I was so caught up in the money for such a long time and it got me nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. we, again, we thought we were doing reasonably well, but nothing is about the money. And I think, like, going right back to the start of our conversation, like, my passion is a builder. Like, I've always wanted to be a builder, but I've always wanted to help people. And, like, I had a goal, uh, mate, from in my 20s that, I, I just I wanted to get to a point in my life where I could help disabled kids or like if a family member needed assistance, I could help them. And so like to be able to be in a position, financial position now where we can do that is amazing. And now like with Live Like Bill, like 
we get told on it like through my like, Instagram messages and all sorts of things. Like, I almost get told on a daily basis. You know, like you've saved my wife. Like we get wives telling us that we've saved their husband. Like I get builders telling me I've saved their life or I've saved their family because they were getting like yeah. falling apart because the business was so the stress was so bad. Like you, so like I think all it's... the time, energy, money that I put into investing in myself has been allowed me now to do everything that I do. Like there is not a day now that I don't like I just I just get out of bed, mate. I don't even have an alarm most days. Like the the, the sun comes up and and I'm awake. I'm into it. Like I just can't wait to see what the day's got to hold. Like every day brings something new. It might be a new connection. It might be an incredible conversation with a team member or or might be a great message on social media or it might be another person signing up to live like Bill to change their life. Like every yeah. day. Like, and I, again, I think that's something that so many people don't, everyone focuses on the negative. Like they could have 10 brilliant things happen every day, but there'll be one shit thing that goes wrong and they ruin their entire day about it. So that comes back to that journaling thing, doesn't it? Where you go, you, you recognize all the things that you're grateful for as well. And it's, yeah, like people will be controlled, as you say, by one shit thing. I, I remember somebody saying to me once, and I'm trying to remember who it was, but it was somebody like a, a, somebody, a, a big, you know, speaker kind of person saying this thing about, so if you're driving down the road and you go, oh shit, I've got to change lanes there. And I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, so conscious of what I was doing and you bang your indicator on and pull across and you kind of cut somebody off and they toot the horn, give you the finger, you know, and then they chase you down the next bloody 10 miles of road, trying to run you off the road and all the rest. And he goes like, you know, like it was an, it was something you didn't mean to do. Now you can let that shape everything else that happens that day, that week, that year, whatever it is, maybe the rest of your life about being on the road, (laughs) or you can go man I am so sorry for that it wasn't intentional but the guy in the car that's or the woman in the car that's giving you the finger and telling you what an asshole you are they're shaping their life at the same time yeah and they are so caught up in in the hatred and the discomfort they're looking for dissatisfaction in life and yeah. so many people spend their life looking for dissatisfaction. I'll never forget this because I would do the odd road rage thing and I'd be like, really, Adrian, get over yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a great example because, that, like, maybe someone cuts me off now, like, I'd, whatever, like, it is what it is. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cares, like, We're all alive. We're all moving yeah, in the same direction. Yeah. There was definitely a time in my life where I would sit up their ass, flash my lights. Like, like it wasn't it wasn't benefiting me. It wasn't doing anything. Like all I was doing was taking up my time. Like, oh, I love it. I love it. Hey, I want to touch on what you do with Amelia, with Live Life and Build, Live Life Build, just in a bit more depth about that because I know of different builders that have been through your processes and done this with you. And it certainly made a huge difference to their lives. And I also, the part that I want to touch on is, as Amelia's an architect, 
and she has a very successful business called Undercover Architect. And she changes lives as well in the space of the architectural industry and how you guys came together and put this thing together. Because I think a failing of this industry, certainly a failing of the architecture industry, is that over 50% of things in Australia especially don't get built. Um, and so there's some major problems with that. That's a, a failing. And then you've actually partnered with an architect, which a lot of builders just go, oh, my God, how would you do that? And a lot of architects would probably do the same. But they synergistically need to be holding hands, better still holding, cuddling each other and having a relationship that actually really makes a difference so that the customer can win, so that the clients win. Can you tell me, tell us a bit about that? Because I think it's a, an unspoken conversation in too many places. No, I might look at something else. We could definitely go with that about the... I look off the top of my head, it's probably six, around six years ago or something that Amelia and I... So we, we actually had a marketing lady working for us at the time that was doing a bit of social media stuff and... She said, hey, check this undercover architect lady out. Like she's on. So at the time, I was starting to put myself out there a little bit on socials. Like we're doing, we're doing some videos on our jobs and, and explaining things to clients while we're doing things a certain way and whatever. And uh, Chantel showed me Amelia and said, hey, Amelia's doing similar thing to what you're doing for um, homeowners. Like, anyway, there's was, was a few like likes and stuff and like um, I started sharing a few of her things that she was putting out there and she'd do the same with mine and there was a bit of backwards and forwards on on socials not and it wasn't even in the beginning it wasn't that much with me it was with Chantel that was doing the marketing yeah and anyway it just it just grew from there we started sharing more and more and I started telling other builders that Amelia is another tool that you should have in your toolbox like um, because she's doing these podcasts and she's telling clients what really happens uh, and what it's like to work with builders and what like all this stuff so anyway long story short we we first met so we i started doing some seminars in the industry and my wife and i built a software and amelia was interested in that so the first time we actually met up we went down to Byron. we caught up with amelia and her husband and we talked about our software and things and it just sort of grew from there. Amelia ended up coming and speaking, like getting involved with um, a seminar that I did. And yeah, but like Amelia's incredibly passionate about allowing all homeowners to get what they deserve to get, have great products, understand the building process, all those types of things. And yeah, I'm incredibly passionate about getting builders to run better businesses and treat their clients better and set better expectations, all those things. And I mean, I, I can still remember it. Like actually, so where where the where the business or the sort of kicked off, I was on my way to a meeting, and the meeting got canned. The client had something come up and couldn't do the meeting, and I'm, I'd only got done it before, and I've never done it since. So. I couldn't pull my next meetings forward. I went and sat in a cafe and I just started writing down all these notes about what we need to do for builders. And I, I flicked it to Amelia and said, we need to get this business going. And because uh, we'd, we'd, we'd tossed around the idea a bit, but yeah, yeah basically we, we caught up, we spent three days in a, in an office, we brainstormed, we come up with the, 
all this stuff that was three years ago now and long story short live like bill is is creating a new industry it's on fire uh, it's growing rapidly yeah it's 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 growing into a big business so i think i think one of the things with our love the story i love the that you know that it was a pro a progression like that as a designer and my biggest frustration and i remember this years ago when i first ever started some business coaching was i was talking to bruce campbell and i said to him he was saying you know tell me what you're doing blah 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 and anyway way we went and i said to him you know the fact is is that your budget is part of your brief it's not something that's separate from the brief and so there is a budget and i said how do we get or what do we do to make sure that your project comes in somewhere around that budget figure you know it might not be right on but then the the whole design thing's a journey so you've got to understand that journey and you know he he'd been looking at doing some stuff on his house and all the rest and i said to him well if they asked you this if they asked you that if they done this if they done this you know like and he's going no 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 and i'm going well how the hell can they know what to do and he's going well yeah now you asked me all those questions i didn't know that somebody had asked me all those questions and i said well how are they going to get your budget right and he goes well they didn't and i go well of course they couldn't because i didn't ask you any questions there's, mean, no process, there's no process behind anything. Like, I mean, I think the reason Amelia and I work is we got massive respect for each other. Yeah. And I think that's where, I don't know, a lot of architects, designers are on their own journey and build it. Like, they're trying just to design the next award-winning thing. Builders, builders think that designers and architects are doing everything wrong, so they just want to price it and substitute <laughs> materials and... Like there's so many parts to this. Like builders, builders are stuck in this race to the bottom. Like they're only going to get the job if they're the cheapest price. So they, mm-hmm. I um, think architects are as well. Well, so because of that, like most builders are substituting materials, changing designs, and not giving the client really what they're supposed to be getting. And so I can't blame architects, designers for butting heads with builders because they they have this fear that the building's going to ruin their design. Like, there's so many parts to it that are broken. But the old-fashioned way, like we've developed our PAC process, which we've trademarked now, like pay as a consultant. Like it's an actual process that's laid out. You can put in front of a client and demonstrate that so for me to get you from here and your initial inquiry to signing a building contract, we have to go through all these steps. But it only works well when there's collaboration. So you've got to create a team. There has to be the client, the builder, and the architect or designer. Mm-hmm. And you all have to be on the same page. There, there can't be any egos there. Like I'm not there to control it. The designer shouldn't be there to control it. The, even the client really shouldn't be there. Like everyone's there to work together and, and guide it. And like we, I learned from Amelia, like we we say the project is king. Like yep, everybody should be there to try and get the client the best possible result they can for what the client is happy to spend. And so we, we never, we don't call it budget anymore. It's all project spend. And uh, one thing that I've really, really learned from doing this process now and like, again, everything with my personal development, but like we are constantly improving our pack process. But <clears throat> my, my point of view from a builder is 
like I am not there. Like we do, we do this very successfully with multiple people now. But one person we do a lot with is Aaron Wales from Green Coast Building Designs. Like we talk daily about how we can improve the process, where we're we going wrong, what happened there, like what what can we do better. But one thing that him and I are on the same page with is neither of us are there to control the process. We're simply there to guide it, but we're there to educate the client. So he's there to educate the client on like what they're telling him looks like. Yep, what the possibility is. Yep. yep. I'm there to educate the client on what that is going to cost. Yep. And then it's up to the client to tell us what they see value in. A hundred percent. And then if, that, <laughs> and if those if that's how all three people work. We end up, and look, it, it takes, like in our process, we allow four, four rounds of costing. Aaron allows four rounds of designing mm-hmm. because the first round, it doesn't matter how well, like how many figures you put in front of clients, how well you you guide the process, it always grows because the client, the client. It's a journey. It's a journey and, and the client wants to put it out there that, and, and they want to see what their dream's going to cost. So we have to demonstrate that. And then once we've got it to that point that they've got a bit of a sketch of what they want, we've put some numbers on it. Nine times out of 10, it's it's over what they want to spend. But then we work together as a team to educate them on what that's costing and why it's doing what it's doing. And then the client, like a perfect example, like some, a client might say in their design brief, oh, we're, we're, uh, we love cooking. We entertain all the time. We have, we're always having people over. Like that's our life. And we, we connect with the outdoor area. Like we spend a lot of time around the pool. And so that shows in the first design and we do the costings. And then in those costings, we'll say, well, look to get that. Like with, with the appliances you've told us you wanted and the, the size of the kitchen, like your kitchen's costing $160,000. And they'll go, oh, well, like we love cooking, but not that much. So yeah. Can we do that same? Can we do a similar thing for sixty or eighty thousand dollars? Well, yeah, sure. And so they're like, well, we would rather cut back on the the cost in that area and spend more on the pool. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you've got and to, to a hierarchy of of values. So and they they equal a hierarchy of budget. So but a client can't tell you what they see value in if they don't understand what the value is. And okay. I think that's where so many builders go wrong. Like so many builders. Yeah. lose opportunity to to do incredible work and work with incredible clients because they flog them off in the early stage and say, oh, you haven't got the money or you can't afford it. Instead of taking the time to educate them and demonstrate, like we had an incredible costings. We, we presented our first round of costings yesterday on a project. It was $420,000 over what the clients been telling us they, they wanted to spend on the project. And they, they knew it was coming because we've been... You've, been, you've been warning them. Yeah, the whole way we've been saying, oh, look, that's, that's definitely going to blow it. That's going to get up there. That's going to get up there. And, mate, the feedback from that meeting was they, they just couldn't... Like, the trust they have in us mm-hmm. and they, they've tried the process with other people. And even though it was $420,000 over what they wanted, so it ended up at 2.24 and they wanted it to be around 1.8, 1.85. They love that we've taken them on the journey We've shown them, we've educated them on what they want is going to cost. And so they've actually come back and said, oh, look, this has been incredible. Like you've taken us through the journey. You've educated us on every element of the job and what it's going to cost. We'll go away now 
we're actually going to spend some more money because we actually see value in those areas of the house. We're going to pull back a little bit there, but we're probably going to end up with a budget around two, maybe a little bit over two million because you spent the time to educate us on what we want is going to cost. Yep. So, look, I love this. I love this. <laughs> it's, it's, you got to take the client on the journey. But the, the thing is that most builders and designers and architects don't have either is you've got to sell them the system in the beginning. Mm. Like you've got to educate them. You've got to show them, look, this is our process. This is all the steps it's going to take. Yes, there is going to be one or two random costings that are going to be over what you want to spend. But we have to get to a point where we've got something on paper that we can actually put physical numbers on to demonstrate to you what that's going to cost. From that, we'll have all the data, we'll have all the takeoffs, we'll have all the costings, we'll demonstrate to you what it's costing, and then you tell us what you see value in so that we can work together to get it to a point that you want it, you're happy to build it. Um, and- Singing from the hymn sheet, mate. It's To me, that is, if from the design point of view, it takes a massive amount of stress out of the process for me as a designer because whilst we've got, you know, big square meter rates that we can work to and all those kinds of things, we we don't have the knowledge that the builder has of the last job or the current job they're in or the current five jobs they're in or whatever it is. We don't have that knowledge. And if they're a well-trained builder, you know, when I say trained, you know, like they've got a pack process, they know what they're doing, they've got the systems around it, they know their numbers, then we can do amazing stuff. You know, the the fact of when you get innovative is when the budget doesn't, when you can't smash one thing into the other. The dream, if the dream isn't bigger than the budget, then you need to go back to bed and dream some more because, there is so much that the world has to offer. So get your dream big and then give it to a design expert that and and with a builder, with a good builder, and the two of them work together as a team with you to pull that thing down and get innovative. This That's what design is about. It's about new opportunities, new ways of looking, getting innovative with it. We had a job the other day where it's over budget. We knew it's been over budget. That's not a that's not the the big piece of it. What it is is that we're working towards a number and I'm going, how do we get there? How do we get there? And I'm sitting with the builder and I go, we've got eight beams holding that, eight beams. And I'm like, man, we've got to get rid of these beams. We've got to, they're costing us crane time. You know, you know what they're costing, they're steel, all these things. And I'm sitting there and I went, Hmm. Well, I could change that roof to do this. And that I had another designer with me, one of my team and the builder, and they went, yeah. And I said, well, that would mean that we need two beams, three beams. We just dropped five beams. Yeah. So my next question is, what have I saved? And, you know, and it was that quick, but it was like, all I was doing was going, when I realized we were holding it with eight beams and posts and everything else to get all that shit to happen, I just went, there's got to be, there's got to be a takeaway here. What can I, how can I reduce? How can I reduce? How can I cut back on the structural piece, but not on the amenity? The client's getting the same amenity. 
It is a hard one. So we, we collect a lot of data and look to start with, I'm, I'm really strict on pulling back the structure. Like in the early stages, you've got to control the size of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can, like you can change the overall product spend a lot with the finishes, and I, I butt heads a lot with design architects we work with on on this. And like the, the way I start explaining, it, like, like a volume builder, like I could get a set of plans off a volume builder, and I can build the structure for the same price, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But the reason a volume builder is so expensive is because of the finishes. Like they they put twelve dollar meter tiles in, they put $8,000 kitchens, they put $600 vanities, like every, every single finish is bare minimum. Yeah. And so fin- I find finishes the hardest thing to try and explain to clients because I can guide the process incredibly well. Like my data doesn't lie if this, when the size is right from the beginning. But then the client, it does not take much for the client to then blow their project spend just on the finishes they pick and well, so i'm trying to explain to a client that look a, a volume builder is using 12 and 15 dollar meter tiles yeah like, i'm putting in 40 50, 40 60. yeah yeah and then they and then like we've had a job recently that they went out and spent 300 like chose tiles it was 330 dollars a meter and i'm and like i i had to have this conversation with like that is going to blow your budget and they're like oh but there's only a bit of tiling in the house i'm like but you've gone but- from in my estimates, I've got forty dollars a meter. You've now got three hundred and thirty. It's all full height tiling, so it's not just the the cost of the tiles that change. It's, it's the putting them up. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, I, we have the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I just with one of our builders said to him the other day. Okay, send me through all your PC sums. We do interior design as well so we'll do the building design and the interior design and i find that's a much better way to keep control of cost because i'm like give me all your pcs and let's do a discussion on those so that i can work through those in the interior design portion of what we're doing so that we are matching that so that we don't end up with a kitchen blowout of 80 grand so we don't end up with a tile blowout i'll work within your budget figures or very close to them i'll rob peter to pay paul i'll do whatever it takes to try and bring those in around those figures for you and then i'll work really creatively with the client to get them there i'm just going to work not harder it's as hard as i want to work anyway i want to be rigorous with what we do but i've got a target the target's the key yeah a fascinating conversation i've got one last question i've got two. First one. First one is and they're not long questions promise you first one is you've got one last thing you can leave you can do one last project and so i do this often with architects and stuff one last thing they can design but in yours i'm going to go there's one last piece of your business that you can do you've got to get it down to one thing just one thing and you've got to automate it and then you've got to walk away from it. You can keep getting the cash if you want. What is it? What would you choose out of all the things that you've got your finger in the pie with? What would you have to choose? In, in the building business? And all your businesses, no? You've got a bunch of businesses there. What's the one that you would just go, you know what? Shit, everything else goes. This one's automated. And I'm actually, I can't do any more to affect it. What would you choose? Um, oh, mate, I, I, I can't tell you. I, 
the, the one that's coming to mind is, is the pack process. Like, yep. The pack process is is changing the way builders and designers and architects work together. And if that if that continues to be successful, which it will, because it's growing rapidly, yep. then that is going that is going to allow more people to get more houses built. And everyone, like you said at the beginning, everyone deserves to live in a well built home. I love it. Great answer. <laughs> Any answer is a good answer. It's just really interesting that, as you see, it offers so much for way beyond you. It just offers so much. And the idea of our whole industry is is to put people in homes. One thing I've learned during the PAC process, so I go to all the design meetings, is good good design changes your life. Mm-hmm. Like I believe, I'm a massive believer that all these so-called master plan communities that have all these houses with the gutters touching each other and no backyards are a massive contributor to all the depression and anxiety we have in the world today. Like, so a, a well-designed home yeah, yeah, changes your life 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. I've got to be because I'm a designer, but I'm actually, I actually believe it. It's as simple as, you know, a car that's got a good layout. It changes how you drive. It changes your life. It, it makes a yeah. difference. When you actually live inside a structure that changes your life. And I was talking to Paula Baker-Laporte yesterday. I was talking to Zara Ducotti yesterday, you know, both building biologists and when you live in something that changes the materiality and the that's physically the health of your life, and then you work with great design that makes things easier and well thought out, you know, the, the height of the stairs, the, the width of things, all these things, that ease changes it. And if you bring up a family in that ease, then they have an expectation of where things start and then they only want to lift that higher as well. So you yeah. get this processional value. Yeah, all over yeah. that. My last question. In your own home, this is to do with my emotional floor plan. In your own home, there's a favorite spot, a spot that you go, this is where I feel whatever it is. Where is that spot and what does it make you feel? Mate, we've recently just renovated our house and I, I don't get to use it as much as I would, but we've got a, when you enter our house, you go into this big two-storey void area and at the end of it, it's got a fireplace like we with a chair sitting beside that fireplace. That's, I don't, I don't take the time out enough to just sit in there and relax and look at the big windows and like, I just love looking at the windows, seeing the trees moving in the yard, the dog running around, the kids and stuff. So that's, that's my special spot. I love it. I love it. What does it empower you to feel? What's an emotion that you would say you get when you're in that spot? Uh, it's relaxed. But that's, the, that's the one spot that I know if, if I've got the time or the, everything's going, if, I, if I'm sitting in that chair, everything's sweet. Right. Love that. I'm relaxed. And a relaxed brain can do anything. Oh, I don't relax, mate. My mind never stops. I <laughs> know that's the ADHD, the same as me. <laughs> but I totally get it. It's if nothing more than the fact that you do get to do it sometimes, the rest of the time it's aspirational yeah. and it's a target. Mate, awesome conversation. <laughs> that, uh, I think, like, yeah, I've definitely got to get going. But it's funny, like, I'm only just thinking about that because you just asked it, but like in our house, that, that spot 
is where I relax and I, I I love the view. I love what I see from that chair. But like at our farm, it's it's like I've got a spot there that does the same thing. Or what's the spot at the farm? Sitting. So when when we first got access to our farm. We were going up there, it was, and we didn't arrive till late in the day. The sun was just going down, and we we pulled our van in. We drove through the property, and we we got up to this ridge, and we like we we pulled up literally to have a look where we should set up because we never stayed there before. And we're just like, oh look, it's late in the day. We'll just we're, we're going to pull up here. And every single time we go back to the property that is it like we just it's the it's the spot like we get the sunrise we get the sunset we get the breeze we get to look at over the property yeah so it's just under this one tree mate like it's <laughs> well that's the aspects of land whispering and you're doing it like naturally where a the spot makes sense and then b it's actually got an it's got an energy that draws you to it and my question would be, is that the space for the house or is that a space that's adjacent to the house? How do after, you use after, it now? After, my, after our podcast, it's not the spot for the house. The house will be not too far from it, but that spot will be... That uh, spot. It's sacred. ...that has a fire pit or whatever. Like, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we were. We were going to put the house there. And then after that conversation I had with you on the podcast, I'm like, we're, we're not putting the house there. Like, yeah, you, it's too good a spot to put a house on. It's a spot that you've got to live, well, we won't, on, live it's, on. It's, we just we won't get the same benefit from it. Like, as think, soon as you put a house there, we'll like, we'll have to be out on the brand or something to see the sunset. Like, we want to be able to sit in that spot and see what we see now. Like, you know, it's so special that piece of um, land whispering, and it, our First Nations people are, are great at doing this. They'll look for shelter and then they'll look for where they can observe from and they'll look for where they can relax in and all the rest. And it's a yeah. it's a lost art in our Western culture that most First Nations people have a very, very, around the world, have a very strong handle on it. And if we take a step back and look at how and observe how they use land and how they honour the land, there's so much to be gained from it. And like I say, like I love the fact that, you know, you recognise that just from our simple conversation. Mm. And I said to a lady yesterday who I'm going to look at her property, she's, yeah, she's pretty conscious. And when I say conscious, you know, just conscious of her surroundings and the universe and, you know, she does breath work and stuff like that as well. And I said to her, so we want to probably get there before sunrise and we're going to do a couple of barefoot walks as well because we want to feel this thing and and I said we'll take a blanket or two to lie down on and just observe the sky from as well so we want to just you know we want to soak a bit in because this is a forever project it's not it's it's not a one-hit wonder and you sell it up and off you go let's make the most of what it can offer Mm. awesome mate very good Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for your time. We'll post all your socials, how people can get hold of you. Builders, for God's sake, get on the pack process and become builders that work with designers and architects and make a a difference for everybody. This is... Live uh, life builds. Live life builds. Get on board. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Have a wonderful day.
Thanks, mate. See you. Bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.